and balance. Beautiful stimulate around the eyes. Greatest and greatest wellness trends, treatments, and experience. Work back Magnesium is naturally found in foods like. This is the Well and Good podcast. Tune in to find the wellness that fits your frequency. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. A big part of the reason that we created the Well and Good podcast was to have a place for conversation that helped clear the smoke around confusing and complicated facets of our well-being. Well, from 2009 to 2018, according to the Society for Assisted Reproductive Technology, the U.S. saw a 2,695% increase in egg freezing, a number that has continued to rise. Even as the process becomes more common and more and more people consider it, it's still not something we talk about all that openly or candidly. I'm Ella Dove, your host, Senior Director of Creative Development, And today, our goal is to do just that, have an open conversation about what it's really like to freeze your eggs. In this episode, we broke down the common misconceptions about freezing your eggs and what the process looks like with Drea Murphy and her fertility specialist, Dr. Katha Fisher. Drea is a currently single New Yorker who runs her own business and who decided to freeze her eggs when she was 34 and document the entire process on social media for her many followers. In this episode, she talked us through what motivated her to make this choice and what it looked like from her perspective, while Dr. Fisher explains the technical and medical side of freezing your eggs. Why do you think it's good to be talking about what it's like to really freeze your eggs? I think current changes to laws have really put female reproductive rights and decisions into the forefront of a lot of conversations. I'm Katha Fisher. I am a fertility specialist and I am the medical director of Spring Fertility in New York City. 
And I think women need to really consider what they want their future to be vis-a-vis family building and fertility. Um, and unfortunately, factor in some changes that may occur in, in the next decade. And I'm so happy that these conversations are happening because I really firmly believe that knowledge is power. You never have to make a decision, but knowing things is really important because there, there is a point where it's much more challenging to have a family or even preserve fertility. And so talking about this and why I'm so happy that Drea is so open about this, it is critical that women consider this. We're going to get into what you need to know shortly, but Drea, what do you have to add to that? Exactly what you said, Dr. Fisher, knowledge is is power. And I don't want to start with like a regret or or a negativity, but I think one thing that I wish maybe I did earlier was go have a first appointment with you and just getting all the information lined up and having all of that knowledge and then being able to make a decision. I think what a lot of people don't realize is just because you go to this this fertility specialist, you don't have to do anything immediately. And I think the sooner people educate themselves on the how, the why, the when is really, really important. And that was something that I was maybe a little bit intimidated by because I didn't know enough about it. But the second I went in and Dr. Fisher and I really bonded because she was so welcoming and also so knowledgeable, of course, but really took me through the process from A to Z in a very non-judgmental way. And I'm happy to share because I feel like so many people are speaking more and more about PCOS. Um, But through my first appointment, I found out that I had PCOS. And if I had found that out maybe three years prior, I probably would have froze my eggs three years prior because there's so much that goes into that. But I think that whole sentiment of knowledge is power, it's just essential. So I am 34 years old and I started the journey to freeze my eggs at 34 years old. I decided to freeze my eggs because I know I 100% want children and having a family is really important to me, but I am not sure when that is going to be for me. And I wanted to be able to have all of the resources possible and options later in life when I meet, you know, my person. And it was a decision that was empowering, but also took the pressure off when it comes to having a child. And also it kind of just gave me the confidence to know that there are resources out there that I don't have to maybe conform into what you're supposed to do in your 30s. And Dr. Fisher, does Drea's story line up with a lot of the patients you see? When do you find that people are typically coming to you to start the conversation around facing their eyes? Yes. So Drea's story is really familiar. And I always kind of talk about the why of fertility preservation and people come to it for different reasons. I think what has been sort of the classic narrative, which I think should be debunked is this idea that you are getting older and your life isn't playing out the way you think it is. And so your back is against a wall and you do this because you feel like you're pigeonholed and have to. And so it's this idea of almost like giving up power and choice. And that is a narrative, right? But it's not the only one. And I don't know why that is the one that's on the forefront that people constantly go to, right? That people sort of talk about in hallways of like big corporations. Like that That's not reality. What I see is women like Drea day in and day out, women that have ambition that are thinking, I really want this, but I can't factor in a family with my career plans right now. Because fortunately or unfortunately, like our 
peak reproductive years are when we're much younger, but our peak career years are usually in our 30s and early 40s. And so once you're hitting your stride, right, you've graduated school, you're working your debt out, right? That's a tough time to have kids. So women who are really ambitious and forward thinking are doing this. Women who don't know what they want to do are doing this, right? I joke about like, if your life is a hot mess, but you just need something to like, you know, relieve some anxiety, do this. Um, there are so, so many really valid reasons. And the truth is there's never judgment. No, the doctors in general never judge patients, right? So no one ever has to come in and say, is, is this normal? Anything that you think is normal, right? That's valid for you. So Drea's story, absolutely hear it day in and day out. I'm so proud of her whenever she talks about this because it's really, it's owning something. It's saying, I'm going to invest in myself, right? I'm going to do this. And maybe I'll use these eggs in the future. Maybe I won't. And I I joke, but I don't joke. Like I'm 39 and I had my kids, gosh, I don't even know, but I think I was like 32 and 35, not because it was a great time. It was a horrible time for me. I was training. I didn't have any really any finances. We were moving, all sorts of things, but it's the time that made sense with my career. And medicine, much like other things, is horrible at this, but I, I had to do it. And if I had my druthers, I would have frozen eggs or embryos. I wouldn't have kids yet, which I know sounds wild, but I wouldn't have a child yet. And I have a seven-year-old. But to what you said, Dr. Fisher, about relieving anxiety, I think that was huge for me. And I think it became an empowering experience as opposed to this concept of freezing your eggs has not always been the most positive connotation in society. It was always kind of like, oh, you're freezing your eggs because like you haven't found someone. It's like, no, I'm freezing my eggs because I'm smart because I'm living my, you know, my best life. I'm independent. I don't need to just date to date because I want a family. I'm crushing it in my career. I'm working hard and I'm going to find my person. And when I do, I'm going to have all these amazing resources to have a family uh, because I put myself first and what I wanted first. I think part of what makes it a really smart decision is going into the experience as educated as possible. So Dr. Fisher, can you walk us through, you know, what people should know when they think about freezing their eggs. Yeah. So I think when I think about that, it has a lot to do with like myth debunking. I think a lot of women's health is shrouded in this like uncertainty um, or conversely like certainty about things that aren't true, right? All the time, like what? People are like, I'm like, no, no, what? Why, why do you think that? That happens every single day to me. So a couple of things to know. There is, there is no like perfect time to freeze your eggs in a cycle. There are really two very clear, easy starting points as in like when you first get your period and then actually about a week after you ovulate because those are two definitive times that we know your body releases eggs. So we can start egg freezing almost anytime. But ideally it's like the third day of your period or like the 21st day of your cycle. So from that point that we decide to start, it's usually about 10 to 12 nights or days of injections. The injections are synthetic versions of natural hormones. So a common question is like, well, what are the side effects of these medications I'm taking, right? Because everyone is really concerned about that and that's reasonable. But your body doesn't know the difference between my injection of hormone and your brain sending the hormone, which is why this works. The goal is to give enough of that hormone to grow the eggs you have. So truly every protocol is individualized because that has to do with a woman's body weight and the number of eggs she has. So those are keys here. And then you take those injections, the shots are the size of like a thumbnail. So they're small, they still suck, don't get me wrong, but they're small shots. The first night's the worst and then it gets easier, but Drea can talk about that. And you're taking two shots a night because your body's usually making two hormones. 
to grow and develop these eggs. So you're taking those shots for about five nights before you come in. And when you come in, we're doing a transvaginal ultrasound. The reason it's transvaginal is that's the easiest way for us to see your ovaries. Um, And that's also how we end up doing the egg retrieval. So we do a transvaginal ultrasound. We count the follicles that are growing. Follicles are just houses for eggs. And then we usually do a blood test to see how high the hormones are getting. And we marry these two things to figure out, okay, how's my medication dose? Do I have to increase it or decrease it? How many days can I wait to see this patient again? And truly our goal always is to make it as easy as possible right, without compromising results. So if I can push it four days, I totally will. If it's a day, I have to do that, right? And then at some point, we actually have to add a third medication because that's the point at which I need the brain to start ignoring me because it's going to want to ovulate and release these eggs because it doesn't understand that I'm growing 10 as opposed to one. And so it's going to want to prematurely release them. So we give a third medication to basically say, shh, brain, nothing's happening here. And then we keep on going. So over, let's say these 10 to 12 days, most patients are in the office about four to five times. So what happens next after that third medication is introduced and those first two weeks are up? So the retrieval is, you know, it's a surgical procedure. So I've seen it advertised as like getting your hair blown out. That's not true, right? I think expectation setting has to be key here. It is a surgical procedure. It is brief. It takes about 15 or 20 minutes. Most patients elect to be asleep, which I recommend. You know, we can do it awake, but it's not worth it. Um, The anesthesia is done by an anesthesiologist. So there's someone else in the room. It's quick on, quick off. It's through your IV. You're basically before you know it, you're asleep and before you know it, you're awake. And because you do this transvaginally, you never see any cuts or scars, nothing like that happens, right? It's a small needle that will go through the back of the vagina and access the ovaries. And believe it or not, your ovaries are, everything is right like next to each other. Your bladder, your rectum, everything is right there. Which is why when you have like bad period cramps, you feel like you have to pee, like everything is related. So we place a small needle, we drain all the follicles. And when you wake up, we tell you how many total eggs we retrieve. And a couple of hours later, we'll tell you how many of those are freezable. The procedure itself, I think you're a little groggy. And then kind of counterintuitively, it's the next couple of days where most patients feel the worst as your body resets. Very similar to pregnancy, like delivery is horrible, but after delivery is actually even worse as your body like shifts back to normal. Um, and, and I think that's the same. Uh, and then once you get past that, you feel better and better. So now that we got the doctor's take, Drea, can you walk me through from your first appointment at spring through your retrieval, walk me through what happened to you? Yes. I think I did some key things that I really think helped me. Obviously I was terrified. <laughs> okay. I am single. My family is on the West coast. Um, I was, I was definitely nervous. So I actually, one thing I, I do want to note is I have an IUD in and you do not need to take that out to freeze your eggs. And I think that is something that no one talks about. No one thinks about. Um, and it can, you know, that IUD can be painful in and out. So that's fantastic information. But also this is so personal and I just can't stress that enough. I interviewed a few interviewed. I, you know, I guess interviewed, yeah, a few different doctors and and spaces to see where I felt I wanted to do this and where I felt comfortable. And once I decided I wanted to do this whole egg freezing process with Dr. Fisher, I first went into her, uh, her office and she took me through A to Z the entire process. We found out I had PCOS, which definitely sped up 
my timeline in my head because I wanted to get the best results I could. And I think I did this in my first appointment with Dr. Fisher was, I want to say late November, December, and I decided to pull the trigger in January. So then when I went in for my first real appointment, ultrasound and blood work, and I was all set to do it, you get very geared up and you have a plan in your head. And that is honestly the number one thing you can't plan. You can't plan. I'm such a planner, type A. I like to plan everything. You can't plan. This is a roller coaster. This entire journey is a roller coaster. Emotionally, physically, it's a roller coaster. And I remember going in for my first appointment, ready to start, get this over with. Let's like get it. The two weeks done. Not how you can think. Um, because then I couldn't start that day. And not to derail my, my journey, but Dr. Fisher, why could I not start that day? You had an ovarian cyst, which is really common in PCOS. So we had to get rid of that before you could start. So already a disappointment in a way, mentally, not a big deal, but you, it's such a mental journey that you're like geared up for this. Then I finally was able to start and you get a box in my apartment. And I have this visual because I think it's really important to see um, of all of this medication. It is the most overwhelming thing I've ever received in my life. All of this medication for at least seven days. It's not even everything that you're taking. And you have to, in a way, figure it out. (laughs) Yes, I had all the resources possible, but you become a, a pseudo nurse. And that I think is the most intimidating part that I was not expecting is day one of shots, I am putting together the powder in the water with the syringe. Like I'm putting together the syringe to give myself the injection. And the first night I freaked, freaked out. Um, I was really grateful that I got to FaceTime with a nurse to make sure I was doing it right. I didn't know if I was doing it right. I was, but you're so freaked out because this is something you've never done before. Once I got past that, the first six days were pretty easy. What were you doing every day for six days? I was working. I was going out to dinner. I was drinking tequila and wine. I was, um, not excessively, but I was living my normal life. And for, for six days, I was giving myself shots at the exact same time. And I started this from the beginning as I created a ritual around this time frame. You have to do it at a certain, you know, within two, three hours, correct, Dr. Fisher? Every single night. Correct. correct. Mm-hmm. And so I made it my own ritual. I literally played the same song. I poured myself a glass of wine or a sparkling water in a wine glass. And I had to inject myself in my stomach. I took two deep breaths and I did it. They set it on my timer. And that was my shot injection happy hour, whatever you want to call it. Then everything kind of changed. So then you have to go get your blood and ultrasound. Almost It, it felt like every other day. Is that incorrect? I felt like I was going every other day. Probably to, it's possible that towards the end, it was. It, it all has to do with how many follicles are growing and how high your hormones are getting. So what Dre is talking about is, this is also, there are just different experiences with egg freezing and it has a lot to do with how many follicles or eggs were growing, right? If a woman has two follicles growing, you really, really feel very little. If you have 20 to 30, you you feel it, right? Because it's it's a physical growth. So everyone's experience is a little bit varied. The other thing I would say is Tria was really great about this feeling. Like for her, every had to be ritual. It had to be purposeful. It had to be very like mindful, which really works for some people. The key to this is any way that this is feels good for you is how you do this. Um, and so I would say because everything was kind of a little bit chill for the first six days, 
doesn't always mean that that's great. And I'll never forget going into Dr. Fisher's room. And what did you say? Your eggs are a little late to the party. Yeah. <laughs> and mentally I was having a breakdown, right? I was like, I'm going through all of this and I'm not going to get anything. I'm not going to be successful. And I'm having a panic attack. You know, I left the appointment and I had to have a real talk with myself. Like maybe, you know, this is just not in my cards for my future. And why I even tell this story is because this, like I mentioned, it's a roller coaster. And if I kind of knew this prior that things change so drastically day to day, I wouldn't have been so, I guess, ser- not serious, but so critical of every single appointment because things change so drastically. But one thing I did do, again, another little ritual I did was after every appointment, I got myself a matcha latte and a croissant or something. And I sat there and I debriefed on my phone, wrote down what happened in that appointment because there's so much information. It's always changing and you forget, you know, it's emotional. You're also injecting yourself with all these hormones every single day. And so it was really important for me to write everything down so I could later, you know, after the emotion kind of passed a little bit from this appointment where I was like devastated, I thought I'd never have a child, you know, ever. I was able to like read the facts and take a deep breath. So from then on out, things really changed. I stopped working out. I could no longer work out, which you're not supposed to after the first six days, but I couldn't even if I wanted to. I was Mm -hmm. so sensitive, so bloated. Um, My boobs were huge for me. Everything felt just large and sensitive and a struggle. It was getting really hard, not only physically, but emotionally. Um, I will never forget... The day before I went in, I think it was day 11 of shots, and I had a really, really bad night. I was just uber sensitive, and I felt was feeling really alone. I was feeling physically sensitive and emotionally sensitive to the max, right? Where I had been having no problem shooting myself in my stomach every single day, and this time it was like the most sensitive sensation ever, and I was just you know, everything was coming to a head. And I remember crying myself to sleep uh, that night and subconsciously knowing like, this is the hormones, Drea, just you'll be okay. And no one could really talk to me. Like I remember like my family not being available and I didn't really want to talk to anyone else. And I just remember kind of crying and running around my apartment, just being like, ah, I want this over. Like, I just, I hate this. And of course I woke up and I felt a little bit more calm and I went into my appointment with Dr. Fisher. And I, I walk in and I was like, if you are, if you tell me I have to do one more night of this, I'm not gonna be able to handle it. She's like, take a deep breath. Like, let's look at what's going on. And we do the ultrasound blood work. And she's like, now you're not going to like me right now, but we need to do one more night of shots. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon. When a thought hits you, I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. 
So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. So before the break, we heard about Drea's experience. The physical side, the logistical side, the rituals. And while I've always known egg freezing was a pretty involved process, I've really always thought about it from the toll it takes on your body, not necessarily the toll it takes on your mind, especially if you're going through it alone. Drea shared a lot, and in the rest of this episode, gets into what it really took to finish her journey. I completely lost it. I was strong up until this point. I completely lost it. Totally bawling, crying in the doctor's office. And I'll never forget though, because Dr. Fisher, and this is, I'm so, so grateful for this extra day, even though I was in so much uncomfortable pain. She's like, we want this to be the one and only time you do this. We want you to get the best results possible. And you've gotten yourself to this point. You've already done so much of the hard work. And because this is such an individual experience and process, we need one more day for you to get the maximum results. And as much as I didn't want to hear it, I knew it was the right thing to do. And I was so grateful that I had someone in my corner, truly, that was looking at my experience so personally. And that night, I did my 12th day of shots. No problem. I was fine. And they were so amazing. They're like, we can send a nurse over to do it for you because I was like in <laughs> real bad shape. And you know, I was like, I want to do this myself. I've gotten to this point. I'm going to continue to do it at this point. So then the next day, she's like, great, we're ready for the trigger shot. So you're doing two and then you have a third shot and you have to do it at a very specific time. And it is called the trigger shot. So the whole purpose of like taking the injection is to grow multiple follicles and multiple eggs. But then when you go to retrieval, they have to have ovulated or released, right? So we don't want them to really actually rupture out of the follicle because eggs are hard to find in your body, but really easy to find in your ovary. So the trigger shot is specifically timed and everyone's a little bit different here. We do it 36 hours after the injection, sometimes 34, but usually 36. So you take that injection, let's say 7 p.m. on a Friday, your egg retrieval 7 a.m. on a Sunday. That's the only shot that we're really persnickety about when it comes to timing, because we want those eggs to be peeled off of the wall so that we can actually get them, but not have popped out so they're not floating in your system. So that is also a stress point for many patients, because if you can't get it immediately, you begin to freak out. And just, I remember this day so well, Drea, the day I had to push you another because you were like in this like yellow beanie that I really liked. And I could tell that you were like at the end of your rope, which is not uncommon. People who come to egg freezing or embryo freezing sometimes walk into it kind of casually, like I'm doing this for myself, this is great. And don't understand that no matter what, no matter what the why is that got you in my door, it's emotional. You want to succeed. You you don't want bumps in the road. You want to just feel like you're checking this box and moving forward. And if anything comes up, sometimes you're not at your best to handle it, right? Because the emotions are really high. And so having a support system, whether that being friends or your team that's helping you do egg freezing is so critical. So it's how you're going to get through this and still maybe have an experience like Drea's, which it was tough, right? It was tough for her, but I think she would do it over again a hundred times, right? That's where it's important. It's like, yeah, sometimes stuff is really hard, but you, you do it. And that's expectation setting for fertility preservation. It's not that this is a cakewalk. It's that it's worth it. And if you have the right team behind you, you can do anything. Women can do anything. What was it like the retrieval procedure for you, Drea? 
So first of all, I was like, let's get this on the show on the road. I'm like waddling around. I can't do anything. I have no energy. I don't, don't do well just sitting on the couch. I need to like get this going. And I mean, it's scary because you're alone and you have to go under anesthesia. And I was a little bit in a panic in a way. But then I got there and I was like, okay, everything's going to be okay. It was really, really seamless. I remember going into the procedure and them asking my name and I fell asleep. (laughs) And I woke up and was done. I immediately FaceTimed my dad. Side note, he was like my biggest supporter throughout this entire journey. We did my shots one night on FaceTime. I was so lucky that I had that support from the West Coast and especially from a father. So I was crying, but like happy crying. I felt no pain. I was uncomfortable. My friend was there to pick me up and they told me they had extracted 20 eggs. And I was like, okay, great. I knew that that didn't mean anything in the sense of which ones were viable. So I I knew that I think that was important to know going in because I think you can get so wrapped up in the numbers. And I was like, okay, that's great. That's amazing. They got all 20 out. Then I had to wait for the call to know how many were viable. And to be honest, I wasn't even really, it wasn't even on my radar because I was just so happy this was done and I wanted to go home. But I actually got the call on the Uber ride home to my apartment. I got 18 viable eggs. 18 were going to go on ice. And in that moment, I knew that was only possible because of my personalized experience and how I was personally taken care of and pushed to get the best result possible. And I was so freaking grateful. Like I couldn't even believe it because going into this from day one with PCOS, thinking that this was not going to be successful and the entire roller coaster of emotions, and then coming out with this ultimate result, I was like almost in shock and shock. To give you like a context, like I have frozen 60 eggs before from one patient. Women are really bad at comparing ourselves to each other, right? And so some people, it would take them five rounds to get to 18, right? It matters financially, don't get me wrong. But what really matters is what's your goal from these eggs? How many do you need to achieve your goals? And some women, that's five. Others, it's it's 60. And can you talk me through that math? Like when you say your goal, say you know you might want to have a child. Mm -hmm. How many eggs are you looking, are you hoping to have stored? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. And what's hard for us is that, you know, egg freezing being non-experimental is relatively new. And so the women that froze their eggs a decade ago, a lot of them have not come back to use their eggs. So actual live data is challenging. This is a clinic that was really born on the West Coast where egg freezing is really popular because of like tech companies support it. So we have a lot of data for people that come back to use their eggs. So we actually have like an online calculator that we update every six months and where you can put in your age and then like a random number of eggs. It doesn't have to be what you actually froze and it will give you stats on like, what's the probability of a live birth? It's like a pregnancy or delivery from these eggs. And so what you'll realize in general is as we get older, you need more eggs, right? So if you're 19 and you freeze five eggs, that's probably equivalent to being 35 and freezing 25, right? So this is why we talk about when to do this. Yes, younger is always better, right? But the question is like, well, how young and is it actually better? Because financially it's more harmful, because there are annual storage fees. So it's like, do you really want to freeze eggs at 19 and 
pay 10 years of storage? Probably not, right? I wouldn't recommend it as a doctor. So I, I think I think 18 is a good number and at 34, but I think it gives any woman a really high likelihood of at least one pregnancy and probably two. Whenever I'm talking to a patient before we enter a cycle, we're talking about what's the goal of these eggs, right? And for some patients, they know unequivocally, my goal from these eggs is I want three pregnancies. And I'm like, okay. So like, these are, let's retrofit the numbers and I'll tell you how many cycles we need. Some patients just say, just want to do this once whenever I have, I have. That's fine too, right? Um, My only goal ever is to not cause harm. That's it. So as long as you know that if you're 42 and you're freezing two eggs, that that certainly gives you hope, but doesn't give you a high chance of a pregnancy, I'm fine with that. People always ask me, is there an age that's too old? No, right? As long as you know why you're doing it, I'm good, right? But I would never freeze one egg for a 45-year-old and tell her, you're going to get pregnant from this egg. No, but I'll tell her there's not a 0% chance. So that that's like the world I deal in constantly is realistic hope. Yeah. So the piece of this I want to make sure we cover and tackle, and this is definitely maybe even more uncomfortable than the other stuff, is the financial component. Mm-hmm. I think it's really expensive. And yeah, sure. If you are lucky enough to work at one of the company that covers it, good for you. But most people... Mm-mm. And most people aren't. Most people and insurance doesn't cover it. Yep. No. So what are the ranges we're looking at for this to potentially cost? And can we talk a little bit about what the egg storage costs look like? And with that in mind, you know, who you recommend really taking this seriously and considering it? Because I think as a woman, you know, who's 30, I'm getting married, but I'm not in any rush to have children. I can really quickly go to a place where I'm like, oh, well, I should just do it just to do it just in case. But then I'm like, it's cost me $20,000. Exactly. No, so- yes. And the number one barrier to this is costs. Absolutely unequivocally, right? Um, I think women would do it younger if it was less expensive or covered. And I see that, right? People that have coverage are freezing their eggs almost immediately, right? As soon as they get the job, they're coming to talk to me. People that don't have coverage are coming to me kind of later 30s when they feel like they have a little bit of like a stash to put towards this. So I'll tell you that in general, on average, and it's a little bit different across the states, right? Just like the coasts are more expensive in the Midwest, kind of for everything. But let's say on average, it's going to be between seven and $15,000 to freeze your eggs. The other part of it, which is challenging, is if you make this investment and then you come back and they don't work, then what, right? Then what do you do? So the other part of it is there has to be some skin in the game from the practice you're freezing your eggs with, which is to say, anybody can like lowball anything, right? And say, oh, freeze your eggs with me, I'll, I'll charge you $20. But the question is, when you come back to use those eggs, are they viable? So when it comes to where you freeze your eggs in New York City, people shop around, which I love because you should you should know what you're getting into. And they're telling me, well, so-and-so is cheaper. And I go, right, but what are their, what are their success rates? Or what's their story, right? You're saving money upfront, but you're actually losing money down the road. And that, that matters. There have been studies on this to answer your first question. And people always ask me, so when? Technically at 37 is the cost like effective age, which means women who freeze their eggs at 37 or older come back for them, right? And so therefore they feel like it's a good investment. Should women younger than 37 do this? Absolutely, right? It just is a matter of, do you have the financial means to put towards this? And is it a priority? And that's where it gets really tricky. Um, I wish every woman would do this, truly, um, because- Or could do this. Or could do this. I also think one thing that's really important to note is you get these quotes from these places and what they don't necessarily factor in is the cost of the medication. And that was something that was a little bit of a surprise. And the cost of the medication can vary as well. 
when it comes to what you need, right? Also, the other half of that is people don't think about with egg freezing. Now, if you want to use those eggs, you have to do IVF. Yes, absolutely. They don't. So to use these eggs, you have to do IVF. But what IVF means at that stage is like an embryo transfer, right? There's there's not much done to your body. It's more that like we put the embryo in the same time it would naturally hit. So the Adipaca costs, if you've done egg freezing, are probably about, and it will range, but like ten to $13,000, right? And then if you were just doing from the start, you know, IVF, it's probably twenty to $23,000. Are there steps being taken? Are there lobbies together trying to make this a more accessible means for women? I think what's really important is that women or, you know, partners really advocate towards more commercial coverage of fertility preservation. It really benefits everybody, right? It benefits the company. They have a stronger workforce. It benefits the women or the couples because they don't have to think about this or worry about this. And at the moment, very few industries understand this. So I think advocacy there, and yes, we're doing this constantly. So after we come to terms with the sticker shock, this is an expensive process. How do the eggs actually become embryos? I've never even thought about that before. And what did recovery look like for Drea? Eggs are the start of a very long biological process. And annoyingly, they all look the same. So eggs that are abnormal and they start abnormal. I don't know. It looks the same to me. Sperm are different. Sperm can look squirrely when they're abnormal, but eggs all look the same. So there's no like filter. Whenever you freeze eggs, you are doing basically the first half of an IVF cycle. So women will ask me, so can I put the egg back in my body? No, I have to make the egg into an embryo in a lab. So if you come back to use these eggs, you are going to end up getting pregnant via IVF, right? So what we do is whatever day we decide, we warm the eggs and how many we warm depends on goals and how many you have, but we warm some number and we put sperm with the eggs in the lab. And then we let them come together and grow as if they would be in your body. So it takes an egg and sperm about a week to come together and hit the uterus. So it travels down the floating tube, which is like a tunnel. And so we let them grow for that period of time in our lab. And on the fifth, sixth, and seventh day of their journey, we look at them and see if we can use them. And then either you transfer one or you freeze them. Now, embryos are hundreds of cells. Eggs are one. So the reason embryos are hardier and more successful when it comes to preservation is because they freeze and thaw or warm better. And they're kind of the final product, right? They're telling me that they've been able to achieve this goal. All right. I want to back up a little. We talked about the lead up to your retrieval and what your body went through. But what about after that? Because Dr. Fisher did say that this is a surgical process. What was the recovery process like for you, Drea? My recovery was really rough. I just wasn't expecting it. And I do think that, you know, there are people that have a rough recovery. I think it depends on how many eggs you get, your size. For the next three to four days, like I could barely move from my couch to my bed and I could not take my heating pad off my belly. I mean, cramps were times a hundred. I had absolutely no energy. And it was really frustrating because here I just done this thing for two weeks and I was like over laying around, right? I wanted to get back to, you know, just doing a hundred things a day and you just physically don't. And your body has just gone through such an insane process and you have to let it rest. You have to give yourself time to rest. And that was a really hard thing for me to do. I was a little bit blindsided by it. 
And this is something I feel really passionate about talking about. And when I shared on social media, I got a lot of women, you know, responding to be like, thank you for saying this because I had the same experience and no one talks about it. And no one told me that they had the same experience and I felt very alone. So I think the mentality of freezing your eggs and you're done and it's like, okay, great. Everyone goes back to normal. I got these on ice and, and, and great. And like, that is not the reality. Six months later, what I will say is it took a while for my body to bounce back. I'm not going to lie. Everything is case by case, but my pants didn't fit for a while. And that was hard. It was just because it's like, you know, it's a vain thing. You're like, why, why are my jeans not buttoning? But like, look what you just did, right? 20 eggs were just taken out of, you know, your, your stomach. Like you got to like put it in perspective and we're so used to just going, going, going and just like, you know, doing, doing it all. Um, but you have to give yourself grace. And if you're bloated for, you know, a couple of months, it's worth it. I would say the four to five days after the retrieval. And I think women in general don't give ourselves enough grace, right? You're thinking, oh, I'll go back to work immediately. Like I have a patient right now whose retrieval was yesterday. She's pretty high up at a pretty rare company. And she just emailed me to say, I'm feeling kind of wiped. Can I rest? Can I rest? I'm like, are you joking? Like, of course. But it's like, we feel like we need like uh, some sort of pass to do that. And, you know, Dre is a perfect example. She is like a mover and type A. And every time I was like, slow down, she's like, but I, this is slow for me. This is slow. I'm, I'm being slow. Well, you have to honor your body, whatever it is, and give yourself grace. And some women are wiped out and you have to lean into that. And other women feel fine, but every experience is real. And there should be more stories out there that this is tough because I believe in expectation setting, but like the tagline has to be, yes, it's tough, but you can still do it, right? It's not to like dissuade people. It's like, yeah, no. so t- you need days off from work after, right? Like that yeah, set is yourself true. Up set for yourself up for success. success. And people should talk about this. They should talk about, yeah, you have bruises. I mean, I, again, I joke, but like I was at a pool in Miami and everyone, I was looking around, everyone around me had bruises on their bellies and or had like this telltale, like I could just tell they were in treatments. And I feel like, well, God, everyone just like talk about it, share it. It's so obvious to me that you're all doing this, but everyone, it's like a shroud of secrecy. Um, and it's such a disservice to all of us. It's like most women's health. Right, don't be afraid to get information. That is the key here. I think a lot of people in general with health stuff, but this is something where just booking an appointment with a fertility specialist commits you to nothing. It just gives you a lot of information. And so rip the Band-Aid off, take your head out of the sand, get some information, and then make decisions. But that's the first step. My biggest takeaway from my conversation with Drea and Dr. Vischer is that information is power. As trite as that might sound, when it comes to freezing your eggs, collect all the data, all the information, all the stories you can. Because at the end of the day, there is no hard and fast rule about when the right time is or if egg freezing is right for you. But I do hope this kind of information becomes more available and we can all have the tools and support we need to make the best decisions for ourselves. Hope this episode helped. On today's show, you heard from Drea Murphy and Dr. Kate Fisher. This episode was scripted in part by Charlotte Tratner and produced by Taylor Camille, Abby Stone, and myself, Ella Dove, along with many other hands and brains at Well and Good. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share. Mixing and scoring by our sound engineer, Joanna Samuel, and our theme music was created by Madeline Lekomsky and Matt DiDomenico. Our show art was designed by Jenny Gibson and Karina Masonette.